everyone, and welcome to Seven Mile Chats, a podcast where each week I, Julia Struckley, talk with someone about a scripture verse of their choosing, and we look at that scripture from different angles. I'm a scripture teacher at a Catholic school. I've been a youth minister, and I have a master's in theology, but the purpose of this podcast is just to have a conversation about scripture and try to apply it to today's world. And today I'm walking and talking with someone I've not yet met in person, but as a connection through the Live Today Well Collective, and she's a student working on her master's of theology, so we love that. It's Allie Bobzine. Welcome, Allie. Hi, Julia. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for being here. What else would you like to share with the listeners? Maybe like where you're from, what else you're interested in? Absolutely. Um, I am hailing from Houston, Texas, with my where I live with my husband and my two daughters, who are four and one. Um, I like to say I'm a full-time mom and a nap-time graduate student, um, so I kind of fit it in there where it works. <laughs> um, and like you mentioned, I write for Live Today Well, and I have a substack. Um, my areas of interest, both in my writing and for graduate school, um, are really women's roles in scripture and theology, um, liberation theology, and disability theology. So for all these reasons, I am so excited to be speaking with you today about Genesis 16 and Hagar. Oh my gosh, I love that too. Uh, you've mentioned so so many different types of theologies that I love, so I'm excited about <laughs> it. I have a couple of questions. So have you always been from Houston? No, my husband and I are actually both originally from Dallas, um, but his job brought us down here to Houston. Mm -hmm. um, and besides the humidity, we really love it here. <laughs> I can't imagine. I, I do love Texas. I've been like all over the state. I haven't spent a ton of time in Houston, just the airport. Um, and I feel like the airport alone <laughs> is like, you can just feel it when you come off the plane. You come off the plane, you know, like that gap between the the plane door and like when you get on the into the whatever the aisle or whatever. I feel like you can feel the heat. You do, yes, and that that really yeah. doesn't change. We, um, if you ever come down here, you'll have to visit NASA. We live about ten minutes from there, and um, it has definitely inspired my daughter, who would like to be a princess astronaut. So we are we are very into the space scene down here. I love that. Yeah, I totally. Totally forgot that that's like where all the rockets launch and everything. I should know that. Um, well, let's get into it. You've chosen Genesis 16, 13, and I'm going to have, or actually we're going to read 7 through 13. So whenever you're ready, I'm going to have you read that for us, and then we'll, we'll start talking about it. That sounds great. Um, so I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to shore. He said, Hagar, Sarai's slave woman, from where have you come and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. So the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her further, behold, you are pregnant and you will give birth to a son and you shall name him Ishmael. Because the Lord has heard your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live in defiance of all of his brothers. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God who sees me. For she said, Have I even seen him here and lived after he saw me? Um, another favorite translation of mine, just for that last mm -hmm. verse, is the um, is the ESV, and that is, so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Nice. And mine says, um, for that verse 13, to the Lord, 
who spoke to her, she gave a name saying, you are the God of vision. And she meant, I, have I really seen God and remained alive after my vision? So I can't wait to talk about all the different translations and um, who Hagar is. So just to kind of give some context, and then we'll get into it. So we're obviously in Genesis. Um, Hagar was Sarah's, and, and Sarah's mentioned here, made Sarah's married to Abraham. God has made a covenant with Abraham that he is going to have descendants that number the stars. And he questions, and we know the story about how Abraham and Sarah laugh because they're old and they are not haven't had any children, so it seems impossible. And they kind of take matters into their own hands. And it was common back then for if a woman couldn't get pregnant, that the husband would sleep with her maid. And so Hagar is Sarah's maid. And so um, it's just interesting, this passage, I can't wait to get your take on it, that God is also making a promise and a covenant to Hagar here. Um, So I can't wait to talk about it. But my first question for my guests is, why did you choose this passage, Allie? Um, So I chose this passage initially for a paper I was writing um, for my Women of the Old Testament class. Um, And I am extremely thankful for my professor. Uh, Her name is Beth Hayes. And she had us read some um, various biblical commentaries, and a couple of them were on Hagar. And I had really always seen Hagar as just a side character, kind of a footnote in the story of the protagonists of Sarah and Abraham. Um, And I think that as my heart has turned more towards liberation theology, more towards um, those marginalized people, and seeing their stories and seeing how even though I see them as maybe um, a secondary character, in this passage, it's so clear that God, he, he quite literally sees Hagar. Um, she, is, she is actually named a theologian by many commentaries because she, she names God. Um, she gives mm-hmm. him a name. And I was just immediately struck by the beauty of that um, and by how much I had missed from seeing it from her perspective um, and from really meditating it on her perspective. Um, and so as as I did that, I was just fascinated by this passage and really um, untangling some of some of what I had been taught to think about it and then really learning how to rethink and relook at it. I think that's all really well said. I agree. I feel like growing up, she was kind of just a footnote into the, like you said, the protagonist, Sarah and Abraham and what God's main plan was. Um, But he does Mm -hmm. have this beautiful encounter with her. So obviously she's, and all of us, all of us are more than just a footnote. So I think it's something worth noting. And um, for those who may not be as familiar, how would you define liberation theology? Liberation theology is really looking at um, the marginalized groups, both in society today, as well as um, really re-looking at or rethinking some of some of Scripture. So I think mm-hmm. that, for instance, it's it's so clear in the New Testament, particularly in the Book of Luke, to see Christ's deep love and deep concern um, for those kind of outliers for those people who people walked by, you know, we have the parable of the good Samaritan. We have who Christ, um, who he shared the table with, you know, he didn't share the table only with the highest Pharisees, but instead he said, I want to eat with the tax collectors. And he was really looked down on for that. Um, Mm. and I think that that's really clear in the new Testament, but something that I've really been challenged by in my studies is where do we see that in the old Testament? Um, the mm-hmm. Old Testament can seem very patriarchal and very um, mm-hmm. kind of centered on the Israelites. And yet, as I've pursued my studies, I've seen so many stories of, of beauty and of wisdom that are coming from 
foreign women who that are coming from Hagar, that are coming from Tamar and coming from Ruth, these Canaanites and Moabites. Um, and we see again and again that God honors these stories, um, that he loves these women and he made them um, integral in the line of Christ. And mm-hmm. I, I just, I find that incredibly beautiful. Um, and I find God's continued hand over these women and continued um, guiding of their stories to just be something that really fascinates me. I love that you're taking a, like that your uh, school offers a women in the Old Testament class. I wrote a paper on it. It wasn't like the course wasn't focused on women of the Old Testament, but I, it was an Old Testament course. And I was like, I'm going to focus. And I actually focused on Sarah and Hagar <laughs> as well. And then I also looked at judges and I focused um, part of the paper on Deborah and Jael. Um, oh, so I, I love their story too. I know and my students love their story too. Cause they're like, they, she took a tent peg and did what? Like it's, <laughs> they love the, the drama of it. Um, but anyways, let's stick with our girl Absolutely. Hagar. So what do you make of all the different, like you mentioned that she could be a, in some, you know, aspects like a theologian because of her naming of God. And we had different translations. Um, what would you like to say about like what she says there about God and how she names him? Um, Oh, goodness, so much. I think that as we're talking about names, if you wouldn't mind, I'm going to give just a mm-hmm. tiny bit of background as well um, to add sure. to your description, which was lovely. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's important to note that Hagar was not actually her name. Um, most mm. most folks agree on that, that Hagar is really an ancient Hebrew word for foreigner. And so most likely that's merely what she was called by the Israelites. Mm-hmm. Um And so we kind of tie into this theme throughout this passage, but of Hagar's dehumanization. Um, Her, so much of who she was, was just stripped away and taken away, um, even to the point of her name. And Mm. where we're at in the story is that she has fled um, because of the abuse from Sarai. Sarai, Uh, yeah. Yes. And I think that something that I found in my paper that I just found really interesting is that it's the same. Um, it's the same word used as in Exodus one eleven for what the how the Egyptians treated the Israelites when they were in bondage um, before Moses came along. And so you have this really lovely inverted parallelism that foreshadows the slavery of the Israelites. Um, but that's actually why Hagar was fleeing. And so you you have this picture of someone who has just been beaten down and broken, and yet. Mm-hmm. God looks and he sees her. And when she has this divine encounter, which is really both central grammatically and narratively um, to this chapter, when she has this divine encounter, you see, um, I, I should, I say you see her countenance change, but that that's very much from, um, from, from my own envisioning of it. But sure. You hear, yeah. you hear the difference. Um, this is really the first time that she's spoken. This is the first time that you're hearing her voice and not just hearing about what happened to her. Um, and I think that so much of that is, um, is really seeing that she is recognized. She is recognized. Her personhood is acknowledged. Um, and she is just in awe that she was allowed to see God as well as that she saw him herself. Um, and an aspect of this whole chapter that I love, I didn't read the whole thing because that would have taken too long, but, Mm -hmm. um, you have so much foreshadowing of this name because almost all of the verbs around Hagar actually have to do with vision. Um, and so you have words 
like, let me find my note on it, but you have words like she looks down on Sarah. Behold is used in verse two and verse six and verse 11. Um, it's really a story about sight and about who is seen and who is not seen. And um, Hagar really went as someone who was not seen to someone who was seen by God himself. Um, mm-hmm. And I love that she acknowledges that in his name. I loved your translation that he was the God of vision. Like, oh, mm-hmm. that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And what were yours again? Can you can you re- say what yours were again? Absolutely. Um, so in the Hebrew, it would be like you are El Roy. Um, and the two translations that I have are you are a God who sees me um, for I have even seen him here and lived after he saw me or you are a God of seeing um, kind of of vision like you were saying, like your translation. It is such a beautiful sentiment, and I see how this correlates so well then with liberation theology and focusing on the people who are marginalized and maybe are not seen by our society. It's such a beautiful connection. I'm sure your paper went super into it. (laughs) (laughs) I was fortunate enough um, that my research veered in – it veered in a lot of different directions. Um, But I found some work by South African theological scholars, um, such as Classens, and then African-American theologians like Okie and Gaffney, um, and their take on this, specifically around liberation theology, was absolutely phenomenal. Um, Mm. And they did a really great job of explaining the portions that made me very uncomfortable, um, Mm. such as like the portion that we read where the angel of God tells her to go back. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's, that's something that kind of put a pit in my stomach. I I didn't Mm -hmm. like that. Um, and I wasn't really sure how I felt about that. Um, but they each point out that, um, not only was Hagar the first woman in the Bible to receive an enunciation from God, um, we Mm. have men who have received enunciations previously, but she was actually the first woman to receive it directly from God. Um, but how this prophecy of Ishmael's life was really one of good news for Hagar. Um, personally, I don't know how I would feel if God was like, your child is going to be wild and <laughs> he's going to be right. against everyone. <laughs> um, I, I think that would give me a little bit more pause. But in reality, they they have looked at this and explained how she would want her child to not be constrained by um, by the culture and by the laws that she was living under. And what this angel is promising is that if she and her son go back, um, they will live. And her fleeing to the desert was really, that wasn't, that wasn't a choice of a life. Um, and, you know, she had found a well, but she probably wouldn't have lived long had she stayed out there. And so really this angel is coming to her and saying, your life is a value and your son's life is a value. Um, and, you know, your, your role in this is to go back and then she's actually given the same promise as Abram that your, your descendants will be too numerous Mm -hmm. to count. Um, and I had never read that as hopeful before. So it really helped me to kind of reframe that as, Oh, like she was actually receiving a good news annunciation because both her annunciation and Mary's seem a little bit daunting to me, but, um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but they really were good news. Yeah, no, I think that's so well said. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you brought up those commentaries and where you found hope and light because otherwise her story does just seem so sad, you know? And um, like, I, like you mentioned in verse nine, where the angel does say like, go back. And my, my line says, 
um, submit to Sarah's abusive treatment, like go and submit oh. yourselves. And that anytime I would see the word submit, you know, we can get into like Ephesians and the new, the, you mm-hmm. know, the new Testament. I just like, I, I, I get icky around that, like that word. Um, and then mentioning like hearing, I'm sure these South African commentators that you're mentioning, like they've seen firsthand, like, like the apartheid and I, I'm sh- was this mm-hmm. written around, like were those commentaries written around that time period? Like, were they connecting that? I'm just so into- now we're getting nerdy. Now we're getting real. Like <laughs> <laughs> I want to know the details. No, I'm, I'm all about that. Um, Classen's I believe was, she actually did some work. Um, her paper is called just emotions and mm-hmm. she's looking at um, the justice of anger, the justice of Sarah's anger, um, what Hagar would have been feeling in all of this and um, mm-hmm. really what she drew into question was highlighting the abuse that Sarai, um, you know, becoming before she became Sarah, um, the abuse that she was um, heaping onto Hagar may mm-hmm. have been endangering the life of Hagar's child. Um, and so she kind of poses this question as, you know, well, we find out that the Egyptians that they were, they were killing Israelites, they were killing Israelite children. And is that why that same verb is used? Um, which is never something that I would have considered. And it just, mm-hmm. I think it brings a whole nother depth of sorrow to this story. And I think that it, it gives you just that gut punch of like, of course, Hagar was fleeing. Um, and then she was told to go back. And and how could she go back? That's kind of what I kept coming to is like, but how could she return? Um, and these commentators, specifically Gordon, um, really focused in on she had hope and she had trust. Um, both of these things were what led her to return because we know, you know, from the end of the chapter and from the following chapter that she did return um, and that she was able to raise her son amongst them until he was a little bit older and, you know, then they flee again. Then we have the same thing. Um, but in a more successful way, I guess you would say. Um, but I really did love that there was hope because she was promised that her life and her son's life, that that she would be successful that time when she went back, that they would live and that, um, that their life would be full, full enough for him to be wild. Mm Mm-hmm. No, I love that you're connected and you connected it earlier to, to Mary's enunciation and that we, it's just, I feel like I'm so glad that these other theologies exist and that, and, and we're talking about them because I think that just a lot of things have gotten so, like you said earlier, presented in one way to us and, and, and it lacks like the depth, like we miss some of the, the depth of the story there. So to connect Hagar then to Mary and see these bookends and these parallels, these women, these girls that were maybe cast off by society, like an unwed mother, you know, two unwed mm-hmm. mothers and, um, and these young girls. And these are the ones that, you know, even though Isaac was the the descendant, um, you know, they still, God still recognized and, and made a covenant with Hagar too. And that just, it just tells me so much about like a level of depth to God's love and his mercy and his plan for salvation that I just feel like we totally missed. And I know we kind of already said that, but I just feel like it can't be emphasized enough. <laughs> you know, I, I completely agree. I think that I had never read Hagar's story as one of redemption. Um, mm-hmm. And yet in reading this, we even have, let me see, it's verse, um, the the name of Ishmael, which is given in verse 11, because mm-hmm. the Lord has heard your affliction. 
Um, that's really foreshadowing a couple chapters down when Hagar flees with Ishmael and God hears Ishmael's cry. Um, and that's when he comes down and, mm-hmm. and provides them water and provides them truly salvation from the desert once again. And in doing so, like once again, we have this beautiful cycle of redemption where God sees them and he says, your life is of value. Your story is of value. It matters to me. Um, and so, you know, he, he tells them where to go. He leads them and he guides them. And, um, like I said, I, I love that Hagar is continually, it, vision is connected to Hagar. Um, and, and it's hearing or like something that's more audible that's connected to Ishmael, which is just kind of a beautiful literary structure that's woven through. You're saying like Hagar is connected to this idea of vision and then Ishmael's name means hears, like he hears, right? So is that what you were saying that like it's connected, yeah. the vision and the, the hearing? Okay, cool. That's, uh, that's awesome. Exactly. I love that <laughs> so much. <laughs> what else would you like to say about this passage? And uh, you know, the po- purpose of this podcast too is just kind of like, I think we've kind of given a lot of messages that we can interpret and how they can apply to us in our world. But um, what else would you like to say about it? We, we have, we've, we've jumped all around and I've, I've enjoyed it so thoroughly. Um, <laughs> well, I think from our conversation, it just, it just went even deeper and in different directions and that that's perfect. I was praying mm-hmm. right before this, you know, just mm-hmm. what, what needs to be said, be, let it be said. Mm-hmm. Um, I think something that I really, I have found in this verse is that it's, it's incredibly empowering and yet it's incredibly comforting um, mm-hmm. to really soak in that sense that, God saw Hagar and he allowed her to see him. He allowed her to have this beautiful vision and experience of connecting with him. Um, And I think that in that, it also challenges me for what is God asking me to see him in, Um, be that situations or people. Mm -hmm. And really what challenges is he asking me to face in faith of his promises? Uh, And I think that this challenge really it applies both to Sarai and to Hagar. You know, had had Sarah trusted in that covenant, in that promise, then we wouldn't have had this story. And yet we have the example of Hagar who did trust. She received that enunciation and she said, I will go back to a horrible situation because I trust in God's word um, that, that I will survive and that my child will survive. And I think that call to trust um, – this is just a great example that it, it can be intensely difficult, but I think that it definitely has made me consider um, wh- where am I called to in that? While you were speaking, I was thinking about, so for, we're in Lent right now, but this will probably come out during the Easter season. And so for Lent, I've been using, I don't know if you're familiar with Brick House in the City. Yes. Um, yeah. So like those resources, Live Today Well has amazing resources, but also <laughs> I like to use um, some of Brick House in the City's resources. And so I've used a, a book that I think came out a couple of years ago, um, but it's called Draw Near and it's got le- weekly Lenten or daily Lenten ref- reflections. And this week has been about this um, sister from New Orleans, um, Henrietta, and I'm, the last name is escaping me, but essentially she was a free person of color but wanted to be a religious sister and no like white order would take her. And so Mm -hmm. she just like started her own. She continued to serve the poor, even though the bishops and everybody was like, no, no, no. She just continued. And like, I just, you know, it's easy to get down about society and how, you know, maybe oppressed we feel in certain, like, you know, even though we're people of privilege, you know what I mean? Like it, it's just Mm -hmm. still, there's things that make it us down. And I'm like, but I look at this person who persevered because of their call and like genuinely felt that call and like, didn't let anything 
like real hardships get them down. And so I, I don't know, I'm connecting that to Hagar a little bit in my mind too, of like going back and like, even though putting yourself in a place of danger, even though you feel like you're rejected, like you've been persecuted against, it's just I don't know, really inspiring story. Sad that it has to like that we, these stories exist. Um, Cause you were mentioning like if the Sarah thing hadn't happened, then maybe this wouldn't have happened to Hagar and we can mm-hmm. get redemption and, and good from suffering, which is what our faith is about. But man, those sad stories are hard. They're inspiring, but, but like, it's like, why do they have to happen that way, God? But that's, but why did Jesus have to die on the cross? I don't know. I'm rambling, but you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) No, I think, I think it's a very good rambling. And I think so much of this was empowering in the sense that I recognize that God saw Hagar and he saw her story and he said, this is a value. This is important to me. You are important to me. Mm -hmm. And really as i focused on this text just taking the time to to sit with hagar to sit with these women in the old testament and mull over their stories and their cultures and you know be gleaning their wisdom and i think from this one so much of it was just the the promise that you know your story is important too um mm-hmm. and i think i think each one of us just taking taking that promise to heart today that god looks at your story and he sees you and he sees every piece of it and says this is important to me. Um, and that is just incredibly, incredibly humbling. Um, but I think it's also something that is challenging as well. Like I think that Mm -hmm. it challenges us because he sees our stories in that way. And because he sees that, that beauty and importance in them. Mm -hmm. I just think as I get older and even teaching with my students, I think we were brought up that all these people are so perfect and God gave them these covenants and they were not flawed, or at least that's the way I made them out to be in my mind. But all of these characters, when you take scripture courses are very deeply flawed when you hear like their full (laughs) stories and everything. But, and my students are like, well, how did God work through like David? If he was like sent someone's husband to like the front lines and like killed them, Mm -hmm. like how, how is like, God tight with David, you know, and, and I'm just like, well, that's good news for us because we haven't done <laughs> these things like this. And God's, you know, it's showing how God through all of these stories still works and still brought about salvation and then can do so also through our flaws. And, um, we don't have to be perfect to serve him, you know? Absolutely. Amen to that. Yeah. <laughs> I have one last question, I think, before we wrap up. Um, in your studies and in finding like the com- like reading the commentaries and things, does anyone have a proposed name for what her name might have really been? You know, they don't. I really looked for that. Um, one of the assignments, so this was a, a 10-week course, and each week my professor, again, who was phenomenal, um, she would give us a different assignment to do. Um, and I thought they would all be more research-based, but a number of them were actually more creative. And so mm. she had us write one that was more um, more prose, more interpretation. It could be poetry. I am so far from a poet, and so I chose prose <laughs> instead. Um, and in that, I chose one for her. Um, mm. And that was one of the more moving experiences for me. I was kind of of the mindset of like, well, this doesn't actually factor into my paper. So, you know, let's just get through it. And then I started it and I just couldn't stop writing. I couldn't stop just like pouring out what this story would have been like from her perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, And so since most texts agree that she was from Egypt, I chose, um, I chose something around like a lotus or a lily Mm -hmm. of the Nile, some, something, it was an Egyptian word that had to do with, um, with some sort of flower. 
Um, and I just, I wanted to choose something that would honor her and that would honor her as more than, um, as more than something that was merely decorative, but something that had roots. And so I was, I was trying to find some sort of water plant that she could be. I love that. I'm trying to think now too what I would, I don't know. I mean, I have to research like some Egyptian terms, but the, the idea of like going to the woods really, or like her being sent out and then like her bravery to go back. I don't know. I feel like I'd have mm. to find maybe something with like, like a huntress or I don't know, something like that. Like, Ooh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I like that a lot. I think it's, it's interesting to, to take these stories and think about them beyond the little piece that we're given, um, mm-hmm. to think about what her life looked like, um, before and after and in the midst of it. Uh, because again, we're not we're not given her voice very often in the story. Um, mm-hmm. But when we are, it's addressing God. Which, my goodness, if you're mm-hmm. gonna, if you're only gonna get to talk a couple times, I guess that's a pretty good choice of when. Absolutely, and we honor all these other you know folks that you know don't really say much either. You know, Mary does has very few words as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're so beautiful. And um, this is amazing. I, I see we had a great conversation. We didn't know where it was going to go and uh, <laughs> we were uncertain, but this was so beautiful. I feel like this was really um, productive and gave us a lot to think about. At the end, I give my guests the chance to plug anything. So I don't know if there's anything you want us to ch- check out. You can mention Instagram. You can mention resources. Sure. Um, you can find me on Instagram. Um, I'm Bob's, B-O-B-Z dot Allie, A-L-L-I. Um, I did recently start my own Substack uh, where I write pretty, pretty similar to our conversation here, just kind mm-hmm. of reflections on what I'm learning in seminary, a lot of them center on um, women in scripture, and it's called The Pondering Heart. Um, so once again, uh, a call out to Mary and um, really loving the way that we continually see uh, emotions um, within scripture and kind of seeing how our emotions are tied to that. So definitely check out Allie's Instagram and all of her writings and her research because it sounds amazing. And you all can find me on Instagram at 7 Mile Chats, all spelled out, and also on Twitter at MissRuckley1, M-S-S-T-R-U-K-E-L-Y-1. Thank you so much, uh, Allie, for doing this. It was really a a beautiful chat. It it really was. Thank you so much, Julia. (laughs) I appreciate the opportunity a lot. Bye, everyone.